It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. with you this morning. That's the sounds again of the funeral procession for another fallen New York City policeman. Uh, New York's uh, Police Department Detective Jason Rivera was laid to rest a couple of days ago, and I think that's actually the sound from his uh, memorial where the thousands and thousands of police, I think, you know, New York City has something like, I'm guessing this, but I think they have like 40,000, or did have 35, 40,000 police officers. One of the finest uh, police uh, departments in the nation and um, uh, I, uh, well, I made a mistake a couple of days ago, so I should correct it. My husband and I have been watching uh, Blue Bloods. We, I know it's been on for a long time, and we're late to the party, but oh my goodness, is it ever good. Uh, Tom Selleck is the chief of police in New York, and uh, it's a very strong family with very strong family values who pray at the table and then go out and try to uh, find justice, you know, whether they're prosecuting criminals or arresting them or, you know, whatever police do. It's just a pretty amazing uh, series and I recommend it to you guys. It's not uh, look. It's not a Sunday school piece. So um, there's some occasionally. It's not terrible language, but there's some, and then there's certainly uh, graphic crime scenes. But um, it is really. It, it just gives you an appreciation for what police in this country face every day. Most Americans cannot begin to understand uh, the danger that they walk into every single day. I think we're getting a glimpse of it when we're seeing, you know, the lineup of all the policemen who are being shot and killed and murdered and assassinated across the country. It's just, it's brutal and it's horrific. And I think maybe we don't fully understand that they have been the line of defense between us and safety. You know, I remember talking extensively about Venezuela when things began to break down there. And one of the things that people reported to me as um, not only Hugo Chavez, but the Maduro who took over after him was the crime rate. There were murderers running the streets, just killing people with impunity. That's one of the things that happens when society breaks down. And this is not what we want. We want law and order. We want law enforcement. And as Christians, we know that God has, that's exactly what he has in mind, order. Romans 13 is very clear that he established governments and order and people who bring order and police. I remember um, when my husband graduated from, well, when he retired from the uh, FBI, I bought him a beautiful little statue of a, of a G-man uh, with the verse from Romans 13 about, um, you know, uh, that you, he's, it's, it's whole, all guides design and that they are pursuing justice because God has declared that they do that. So, um, so all that to say that there's trouble. 
there's trouble in Gotham City, New York, and um, and there are so many deaths. And so activist Terrell Harper, who was a part of Black Lives Matter, actually made a video when he saw all of the uh, policemen out there on the street. We, we're we going to play this. We had to edit probably, I'm guessing a third of it was profane. So um, you won't be able, you will not get the full impact of the vile things that he said. Uh, but he was watching this, and uh, this is what Black Lives Matter activist Terrell Harper observed. Let's listen. Bro, but if I'd have known about that motherfucking funeral, I would have fucked that up, bro. All the way. 100% I'd have fucked that up, bro. I'm telling you. You ought to get around that corner. No cops. No KKK. Oh, man. So I'd have fucked that funeral up. So that'd have been a wet dream to fuck that funeral up, bro. Oh, my goodness, sir. I can't wait. I'm looking for the next cop funeral. I'm going to fuck it up, bro. I'm telling you, I'm going to fuck that shit up. <laughs> make news ASAP. I think I'm fucking it up. I don't give a fuck, bro. I don't give a fuck. I'm fucking their next funeral up. You better not die no time soon because I'm going to fuck your funeral up. You stink. Son, that's going to be my new threat to them. I can't wait for one of y'all to die so I can fuck your funeral up. <laughs> Word up, man. Fuck them, bro. All right, so that's Terrell Harper, Black Lives Matter activist in New York City. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, I think, I'm not sure what outlet that was on, so I can't say. Uh, but he's allowed to do that, allowed to say that. I wonder if anyone has arrested him. I sort of doubt it. Don't you sort of doubt that? He was also uh, arrested before uh, by hurling, you know what, I don't know if he was arrested. He was accused of hurling racial slurs at an Asian New York Police Department officer. I can't repeat what he said, but it was uh, it's horrible. And uh, the the officer said this was something that I'd never experienced. I uh, says I've never experienced this level of racism and hatred directly at me, directly at the Asian community. And so um, this is the kind of thing that's happening on our streets. And the problem is we have prosecutors all across the country, many of them George Soros funded, uh, who are allowing people to go free, uh, and especially people like this. And I want to make my case to you. Kate Brown, the governor of um, Oregon, has been releasing criminals on the streets, granting clemency left and right. In fact, I'll give you an idea of the kinds of people she's been granting clemency to. Randy Tennant's mother was stabbed to death by her own grandson, Andrew Johnson, when he was 17. He stabbed her in the neck and head 10 times, then stole $2,000 and went on a shopping spree. He has served seven years of a 25-to-life sentence because he was granted clemency by Oregon Democratic Governor Kate Brown. Samuel Williams lost his developmentally disabled daughter Jessica when three teens stabbed her under Portland's steel bridge, mutilated her body, and lit it on fire. Richard Alsop served 16 years of a 25-to-life sentence. Amy Jones, Williams' surviving daughter, is also a plaintiff in the suit. Melissa Grassi found her partner, Austin French, shot dead in their bedroom on Halloween. 2006, his brother, Cash French, was served 14 years on a 25-to-life sentence before he was granted clemency by Governor Kate Brown. And so, and it goes on. There's a whole long list of it, but now she's being sued, and uh, she's having to stop uh, granting clemency, at least for the moment. Uh, but this is what we're up against. And I think, you know, um, this is stuff, this is horrible stuff to tell you, but, you know, when I was in Chicago on radio, I would, I would, you know, read the Chicago Tribune every day and the Sun-Times. 
And um, it was always astounding to me to see the horrible, horrible things that people do to each other, things that you and I who have had, I would say, a normal upbringing, and I would say more than that, more than normal, I would say it's an upbringing that God designed. We're family and husband and wife, parents uh, teaching their children right and wrong, and there is a protection that comes with that that we don't realize sometimes. We just take that for granted. There is an innocence to us because we don't understand how wicked. Some of you understand perfectly because you have a different background and you've seen the dark side of wickedness. You've lived in it. Uh, but many people who are raised in Christian homes don't can't comprehend. This is the kind of wickedness that police are keeping and God himself are staying, putting back, holding back. And that's the kind of stuff that's being unleashed by these prosecutors around the country. And I want to bring this then back to January 6th, uh, because uh, the, the difference in the way criminals are treated by the left is astounding. And I want to make my point. Uh, Judicial Watch has just list, um, issued a, a press release. Pelosi Congress claims sovereign immunity in federal court to keep secret January 6th videos and emails. So um, Congress has exempted itself from the Freedom of Information Act. And so Judicial Watch brought a lawsuit under the common law right of access to public records. Uh, Basically, the Pelosi and its police department is telling a federal court it is immune from all transparency under law and is trying to hide every second of its January 6th videos and countless emails. The hypocrisy is rich, as this is the same Congress which is trying to jail witnesses, citing privileges, objecting to providing documents to the Pelosi January 6th committee. And I just want to kind of spell this out. So people who are in jail in D.C. and around the country uh, who are being held without bail and solitary confinement and treated horrifically, who have not even been, uh, they, they don't even, they can't even sometimes post bail and can't get out of jail unless they have the right thinking about whether the 2020 election was stolen. This is part of it. It's just, it is bizarre and ridiculous. Uh, they are being, their attorneys are having trouble getting evidence to defend their uh, their uh, their clients because the Pelosi, Pelosi will not release the videos, the videotapes that will show many of them and kind of prove that they were like strolling through, taking pictures, whatever they were doing, whatever the particulars of each case. And that's why this is so horrific. And then the flip side of this uh, is captured in another article this morning by Julie Kelly. And I, um, I just want to read a portion of this to you. It's Justice Department continues to go easy on 2020 rioters. And by the way, we will put this on our Getter account so that you can see it. Justice Department continues to go easy on 2020 rioters. No matter how much the Biden regime and news media want Americans to forget what happened during the social justice protests of 2020, the public remembers. Uh, It estimates, and I'm going to skip around, uh, following the death of George Floyd, uh, which caused an estimated $2 billion dollars in damages and cost dozens of lives. Uh, chiefs, chief police, chiefs of police are saying that at least 8,700 protests occurred across 68 major cities. This is before the 2020 election. And 574 involved acts of violence, and that was just a two-month span in the, the summer before the election. There was no comparison between the violence that terrorized the country throughout 2020 and the four-hour disturbance at the U.S. Capitol on January the 6th. And while top law enforcement officials fixate on the so-called insurrection, they continue to downplay the murder and mayhem of 2020. 
During a recent Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, Jill Stanborn, assistant director of the FBI's National Security Branch, struggled to answer how many people face federal charges related to the 2020 riots. Sanborn admitted that the FBI has arrested just north of 250 people in connection with the violence that we all saw around the peaceful protests. That was the word she used. The 2020 riots that we just described were peaceful protests, according to the assistant director of the FBI, and they've just arrested just north of 250 people. Uh, Contrast that with the person who also testified in that hearing, which is Assistant Attorney General Matthew Olson. Uh, He was asked how many people were arrested uh, from January 6th, and he answered more than 700 had been arrested so far, 325 face felony charges. But, of course, there are more defendants now because the FBI is, you know, remember the attorney general announced that he was going to double down. They were going to go catch even more people that even breathed the word January 6th. And so they've been doing that. So Sanborn uh, also, that's the FBI agent, wouldn't tell Senator Mike Lee how many 2020 rioters were subjected to military-style FBI raids or solitary confinement conditions in prison awaiting trial. Uh, The answer is, of course, Sanborn surely knows is none. None of those people that were arrested during the riots or suspects uh, that produced so much damage and so much death have received that kind of treatment. What Sanborn and Olson also don't want to admit is in public is that the Justice Department is actively dropping cases against 2020 rioters. Prosecutors continue to dismiss charges against Portland rioters. In December, the U.S. attorney in Portland asked a court to dismiss an indictment against a transgender rioter accused of using a high-powered laser against multiple police, multiple police officers during Antifa's 100-night siege of that city. Nearly all rioting charges against protesters who occupied Lafayette Square in 2020, which prompted the lockdown of the nearby White House. Remember, they tried to burn St. John's Church. Nearly they, they've almost all been dropped by the same U.S. Attorney's Office who are now prosecuting January 6th trespassers. And there's so much more. I could talk about a guy who actually burned down a building and killed someone. He's been released. He was only charged with uh, arson and not with murder. It goes on and on and on. The contrast is incredible. There is injustice in the land, and it can't stand. And when I speak of justice, I'm talking about God's justice. It has nothing to do with color. It has to do with character, with criminal activity, with people that are doing things that are right and people that are doing things that are wrong. They need to be identified, and we need to reclaim the truth on those issues. I'll be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The Raising Godly Boys Minute with Mark Hancock. Today's world is a dangerous place. COVID continues to cause chaos, confusion, and turmoil. And then there are terrorists, drugs, racial tensions. The list of worries and fears goes on and on. And yet, the Lord tells us that despite the chaos surrounding us, we can have peace. In John 14, 27, the Lord says, My peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. As you guide your son through life, be intentional in choosing peace over fear. By reminding your son that the Lord reigns supreme, you can show him how to be joyful and confident even through the storms of life. For more encouragement and parenting advice, visit Trail Life USA or RaisingGodlyBoys.com. Free help in Raising Godly Boys is at RaisingGodlyBoys.com. RaisingGodlyBoys.com. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Ned Price, spokesperson for the U.S. Department of State. He's responsible for communicating U.S. foreign policy to American and foreign media in daily press briefings. Psalm 1914 reminds us of the importance of wise words. Let the words of my mouth and the mediation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Right now, with this in mind, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to guide Ned Price as he speaks on behalf of the State Department. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2022 prayer guide and make this the year of prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting Go Visit to the number 49596. Again, that's Go Visit to the number 49596. Penzies is no longer the spice of life. The Wisconsin based spice company now on hard times after the owner issued a statement accusing Republicans of being racist. Bill Penzi emailed his customers the other day saying that Martin Luther King Jr. weekend should be renamed Republicans Are Racist Weekend. He also said conservatives fantasize about killing black people. As of this broadcast, more than 40,000 of his customers have canceled their subscriptions. Mr. Penzi seems somewhat surprised. Apparently, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker said Penzi was just bad for business, urged more customers to boycott the spice company. Well, as the New Testament tells us, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, there's no way to make it salty again. So I'd recommend McCormick's. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Uh, Judge Cotto, I want to start with you. Is racial discrimination wrong? Senator, our Constitution prohibits race discrimination, discrimination on the basis of race. Okay, let me ask again, is racial discrimination wrong? Senator, as a judge, I I, I don't um, deal with issues of morality or whether something... You have no views on whether it's right or wrong? Senator, because that is an issue that is frequently litigated before the courts, pursuant to Canon 3 of the Code of Conduct... Okay, so why does the Constitution prohibit racial discrimination? Senator, I I think it's part of our Constitution and this nation's history of aiming for equal justice and uh, treating people regardless of any protected class status equally and fairly. So discriminating based on race violates, I think you just said, our Constitution's history of aiming for justice. Is that a fair characterization? Senator, our case law 
uh, if you're talking about race discrimination under the law, yes, pursuant to Supreme Court precedent, uh, race discrimination under the law is prohibited. Okay. Uh, that was the voice of Senator Ted Cruz, and he was uh, questioning the candidate for the central, to be judge of the Central District of California, Kinley Kia Cato. Uh, and of course, she could not answer him if racial discrimination is wrong. Couldn't quite get there, couldn't quite come to the point where she actually believed it. She said, um, you know, according to case law, according to what, but not, never would she once. Because, you know, the, uh, you have to understand that critical race theory, which is what they're pushing uh, in schools and in co- corporations, uh, requires uh, you to discriminate against race. And there was an article that I won't get to today, but it was, uh, there's a school, uh, well, this has happened before, and you've heard this before, but now a specific incident of a school where the teacher is lining the kids up, you know, according to their color, uh, dark down to light, and then the kids that are light-colored have to turn and face the ones that are darker-colored and apologize for their skin color and for their racism. And so this is, uh, that's why, that's why she can't say that it's wrong to, uh, you know, that's why she cannot bring herself uh, to saying that racial discrimination is wrong because she's all about it. That's what the left is all about. And that kind of brings me to the whole notion. I was just talking about justice, and one of the ways, of course, justice happens in this country, and again, I'm talking about real justice, what's right and what's wrong. It has nothing to do with color, with making things right, with making decisions that are unfair in order to re, you know, um, make things wrong right 200 years ago. That's just not part of justice. Justice is blind, and justice should be equally applied to everyone regardless of color. Now, laws are written regardless, of, they should be written regardless of color. So no special privilege and certainly no special punishment. And uh, we've had, uh, in, anyway, that's enough of that. I, but I want to go now to the importance. Right now we have um, Washington is abuzz with the retirement of Stephen Breyer. And you can understand why. Because there's the, he's the ninth judge on the court. He was the oldest one. And the left is, you know, hell-bent on getting a radical leftist judge. Um, and by the way, we'll, we'll talk more about the candidates later, not today. Uh, but this is a royal battle. You know it is. I don't need to convince you. Look what happened when Kavanaugh was, uh, was nominated in his confirmation. They just, the left went crazy, yelling in the courtroom, just disrupting, uh, bringing in a charade of the, an accuser who was, uh, un- it was an unbelievable charade, disgraceful, really. And then they were uh, gathering on the Supreme Court steps and screaming like banshees and banging on the doors. That's how. That's the underbelly. I've talked about wickedness in the, in the opening. That's that's the underbelly of that particular brand of wickedness. Wickedness. It's really. It is really demonic, from my perspective. It's just out of control animal behavior. It's amazing. And so, um, and by the way, again, it has nothing to do with color. In case I need to mention that, nothing to do with color because I saw kind of all kinds of people screaming like banshees and banging on the door of the Supreme Court. So now all eyes are on the Supreme Court. And one thing you may or may not have noticed is that Clarence Thomas, who's the only black justice, and the probably um, – um, He's probably, next to Alito, the most conservative person on the court. They probably both can wear that crown. But Justice Clarence Thomas came from the left. His story is incredible. Uh, And he's served on the court a very long time, and he is just a stalwart 
Uh, and he's now speaking out on the court, which makes him more of a threat because he used to be kind of quiet. He just didn't say much. It was his, it was his pattern to just listen to the arguments and then make his decisions. But he wrote great uh, opinions afterwards. So, all right. So, how do they come after Justice Thomas? Well, of course, some of you are too young to know that when he uh, was nominated, um, they came after him with a vengeance. He was the first. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. It's just so ironic. This is how the left operates. Uh, he was a, a black justice. You'd think they would be happy to have a black man appointed. But no, no, because uh, Clarence Thomas was the fine, wrong kind of black man. He'd come out of the left, uh, and he was uh, he had come back uh, to uh, being a constitutionalist, and he'd really actually, this is not part of the court's determination, but I'm telling you, he'd kind of re- rediscovered his faith, and um, he was a danger to them. And so it was uh, Joe Biden who was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee then. And I wish we will find video of uh, Joe Biden absolutely raking Clarence Thomas over the over the coals. Mr. Joe Biden, who wants to pledge so nobly to nominate a black female to the court, uh, was not so gracious to the black Clarence Thomas. It was it was really horrific. You can see it again in, in the movie Created Equal, which is the story of Clarence Thomas life, basically. It's just powerful. So now, in order to get at Clarence Thomas, this time they're coming after his wife, Jenny Thomas. You may have heard some rumblings of this. Uh, this late, this is not the first time. They've been doing this for years. I know a lot about this. Um, uh, let me just say that on January 21st, which is what, yeah, about a week ago, uh, the New Yorker came out with an article, Is Jenny Thomas a Threat to the Supreme Court? And the, the subtitle is, Behind Closed Doors, Justice Clarence Thomas' wife is working with many groups directly involved in controversial cases before the court. All right, look, I could get into the weeds of every person and entity they go into in this article and how they have connection to Jenny Thomas and some of their issues might come before the court. But I will just say this in a broad sweeping response, that this is true. <laughs> Washington, D.C. is a small town. It's really small if you're a conservative. Conservatives know each other you because uh, there aren't that many of us. Uh, it's a, But I would also say that on the left, it's also kind of a small town. And so people come to these positions after years of holding various positions. It's a bit incestuous, whether it's the media or political or the judges. Uh, and, and many of them, look, the last few justices appointed by the left have been radical leftist activists. Um, Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg comes to mind. For heaven's sake, she was an attorney with the ACLU. You think she didn't have political views? Of course, she did on abortion and women's rights. She was, uh, she was, con- uh, she was a no holds barred I- uh, idealist on leftist ideals. So, but Jenny Thomas uh, is an attorney. Uh, she was an activist in D.C. before she ever met Clarence Thomas. Uh, she um, uh, and yes, yeah, she's very active in conservative circles, and so yep, yeah, she's involved with people who might, by chance, you know, at some point have something before the court. But they're saying by uh, by mere association uh, that disqualifies. She's controlling the court, and Clarence Thomas should, of course, step down. They're desperate to get rid of him. And so yesterday, or a couple of days ago. Um, uh, the press secretary, Jen Psaki, was asked by Reuters' Trevor Honeycutt, there have been ethical questions about Judge Clarence Thomas. His wife has political affiliations with groups that file amicus briefs before the court. Does Biden feel there's an ethical issue there he'd like to see dealt with? Well, boy, don't things come full circle? 
So now we've got uh, the former chairman of the Judiciary Committee of what, I'm guessing, 30 years ago, uh, just quickly off the top of my head, who oversaw the humiliation of Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas uh, declared uh, to Joe Biden that this was a high-tech lynching uh, because it really was it really was a powering up over him, trying to destroy him through the false uh, testimony of Anita Hill. And so uh, Joe Biden was uh, responsible for that. He was the king of the walk then. And so now trying to get rid of uh, Clarence Thomas because he has performed just as they had feared. He's been fierce on issues and uh, fiercely independent. Uh, the wrong kind of black man. He must be destroyed, so let's go through his wife. So that's what's happening, and you'll be hearing more about that, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it a lot more. All right, so that brings us to um, the election, the 20. 20- 20 election. And I have told you that there are tons of things coming out about what happened on that day. And I haven't been giving you details because I'm kind of holding off. Uh, Catherine Engelbrecht will be our guest next week and we'll talk about a lot of it. But one of the things that we're finding, and Cheryl Atkinson, who's been our guest many times, um, she's the former um, uh, uh, reporter for ABC, who actually ended leave. remember the, um, some entity ended up going into her um Oh, gosh, this is when Obama was president. And uh, she was reporting on uh, Operation, uh, it was the guns, that they were the the Eric Holder Justice Department was running in New Mexico, in Mexico. And one of the guns, this is not funny, it's just horrible, actually. They unleashed guns down there in order to create a situation where they could, um, they had a whole plan. Uh, They could outlaw guns in this country because the guns would come back to kill people here. And so it was really cute, kind of cute little thing they had going. And Cheryl Atkinson was reporting on it, and suddenly her computer was invaded, and uh, it took on a life of its own, like keys working. And she ended up uh, with a lawsuit, and I'm not sure she ever had satisfaction. She left CBS, and she's been uh, writing ever since. All right, so she's now turning her attention to the 2020 election, and she is uh, uncovering, has uncovered uh, ballot box surveillance video. All the ballot boxes used in 2020, uh, not all of them, but I guess lots of them, had uh, surveillance. And uh, they have caught now and released videos of what we call mules who were bringing in uh, fake ballots and stuffing those boxes. And uh, Cheryl says that one mule made 53 trips to 20 drop boxes. The drop boxes, remember? Because of COVID, you see. We had to have drop boxes, and you could vote by mail, and... Some states uh, required everyone to vote by mail, and then they were very conveniently able to find like lots of, like thousands, shall we say, of extra ballots stuffed by people like the mules who were paid to do that. And so uh, we will talk about that in detail next week, but 2020 is very much uh, still in the sights. It's called the big lie by the media. It's kind of like um, you can't say anything, uh, you can't say anything about the vaccines because that's misinformation, and you can't say anything about the 2020 election because that's the big lie. Of course, it was the most honest election we've ever had, the left has told us and the news media has told us. But those of us who are paying attention and have been following the actual reports uh, that you can't find on social media anymore because they're scrubbed. How would you know? You'll know because you listen to me, and uh, I ought to do my best to post these things on Getter. But here's the story. The Democratic senators have unveiled legislation to change the electoral count. Of the Electoral Count Act. A group of Democratic and Democratic-aligned senators on Tuesday unveiled a bill that would make several changes in the 1887 Electoral Count Act, which Democrats hope will be more acceptable to some GOP moderates. 
the draft bill was unveiled by Democrat-aligned Senator Angus King with Amy Klobuchar and Dick Durbin. As leaders in the, on the Senate Rules Committee with jurisdiction over federal elections and members of the, you know, I'm not going to read all that. Bottom line, what they want to do is change the vice president's role uh, so that he can't do anything about, if he, if he feels like the electoral uh, votes that are presented uh, or the electors that are presented, uh, were there's some nefarious act or something happened where they're not quite, uh, he has no power. They want to take away any power from the vice president to do anything, which brings me to this next story. And this is going to be uh, probably upsetting for some of you. It isn't easy for me to tell you this. I've usually held my peace because uh, the vice president, the former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, I used to know Mike very well. And um, he had such a wonderful beginning and showed such incredible promise. You know, he worked for one of the family foundations in Indiana um, when uh, Focus on the Family was you know, trying to build them in each of the states. And he was the head of the one in Indiana, and he actually did a daily radio program there. And then he became a congressman, and he was just fiercely pro-life. He was, if you see old videos of Mike Pence, you see the Mike Pence that I used to know and love and interview. Um, And then something happened to Mike Pence. I've been watching this for a long time. And uh, it was very upsetting. And my first signs of it to me were when he went to be governor of Indiana, and we saw him equivocate on really important issues. Like for us, the first one that came to my mind was Common Core. The Common Core activists in Indiana were fighting so hard against Common Core, and they thought that uh, Governor Pence was their ally. But it turns out it was the opposite. And in fact, uh, they instituted the same program in Indiana under Governor Pence and called it something besides Common Core. But it was the very same thing. And the activists called him out and said, you, you lied to us. You told us you would help, but all you've done is, you know, dig in and reestablish it. And that's exactly what he did. And then, of course, he took a very, real coward's uh, position. Uh, when gay marriage began to be an issue in Indiana, uh, he equivocated and did a half measure. And that was a huge blow uh, to many of us. Uh, but now there's an article that's uh, called The Treachery of Vice President Mike Pence Explained. And I'm going to read it to you when we come back because this will talk about his time in the White House and what actually happened. Uh, And I think you need to know. I think you need to know. So stay tuned. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio Program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio. 
AFA Action. Announcing AFA.net slash connect. One news now. It's the one click that will link you to so many AFA platforms. Pick and choose which updates you want to receive. Easily subscribe or unsubscribe. American Family Studio. And to quote our privacy policy, American Family Association will not sell, rent, or lease your personal information to outside organizations. AFA Journal. Make a better connection with AFA at afa.net slash connect. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. At the height of a Holy Spirit outpouring in Samaria, where the gospel was being preached with great power and droves of people were converting to follow Christ, the Lord instructed Philip to leave Samaria and head south to Gaza. Philip didn't know a divine appointment awaited him. Through his ministry to the Ethiopian eunuch, the gospel would spread to Africa. He left the crowd to serve one. I call this step-down faith. It's easy to step up for the attention and applause of the masses, but do we have step-down faith? Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. As many of you know, Hurricane Ida devastated Louisiana in August, making landfall as a Category 4 hurricane, leaving thousands of families in need of hope. Do you know it's been three years since 8 Days of Hope deployed on a rebuilding trip where we help hundreds of families rebuild their homes for free? But today I've got some exciting news. We're announcing that 8 Days of Hope 17 is going to take place in Laplace, Louisiana from April 9th through the 16th, bringing hope to those who are feeling hopeless. We're going to be doing roofing and drywall painting and so much more. If you'd love to use your gifts to serve those in need, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. As always, it's free to volunteer with us. Food and lodging are provided. And again, if you're looking to be the hands and feet of Jesus, join us in April when we go to La Paz, Louisiana, during 8 Days of Hope 17. Again, for more information about this outreach or any arm of the ministry, go to 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. FBI Director Christopher Wray sounded an urgent alarm yesterday at the Reagan Library. He warned that communist China is, well, eating our lunch. Thanks to the CCP's systematic espionage, cyber warfare, intellectual property theft, and active subversion, there is, in Director Wray's words, quote, no country that presents a broader threat to our ideas, our innovation, and our economic security than China, unquote. It is, in short, our mortal enemy. Yet, the Biden Justice Department is reportedly giving serious consideration to the demands of old friends of China. They claim the FBI and DOJ are engaged in xenophobic and racist witch hunts against innocent Chinese nationals and others in Beijing's so-called Thousand Talents recruitment program. To paraphrase Jaws, if anything, we're going to need a bigger China initiative to counteract the Biden team's efforts to manage communist China's inevitable rise and America's inexorable and desirable decline. This is Frank Afney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Hey, Sandy Rios back with you. Before I get into the article I was going to share with you, I want to tell you some other things because these are important. Uh, Around the Canadian truckers that we've been following, I love that convoy for freedom. So just came in my inbox right before I went on the air that uh, a Canadian official is now calling for the government to confiscate all the money raised by the freedom convoy. 
it's millions of dollars. It's what nine point six million dollars in donations. So uh, they're looking now to uh, take that money. Uh, uh, yeah, and you know, probably they can. Banks here, you know, are in on this. They'll just confiscate the money. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen, but they could. Why not? You know, there aren't any rules right now. And so, uh, in an, in kind of an update, what's happening is that they are turning the Canadian truckers into. They're doing exactly what our Justice Department did to people who were in the Capitol on January 6th. These are now criminals. They are racist. They are. They must be destroyed. You get the. You get the gist. It's a two people have been charged. There are 13 active investigations. Uh, let's see. Oh, and by the way, you knew that President Trump was supporting the truckers, but did you know that Tesla, Tesla billionaire Elon, Elon Musk is cheering them on also? That's interesting. Okay, a conservative Canadian member of parliament called on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to apologize to the protesters he's, he's accused of spreading hateful rhetoric and also issued a reminder to the House of Commons that Trudeau wore blackface more times than he can remember. I do get very defensive of Canadians who are outside today, patriotic, peace-loving Canadians who are called misogynist and racist by the Prime Minister. Conservative Member of Parliament Candace Bergen said in the House of Commons on Monday. And so uh, Trudeau's not le- letting up. He On Monday or late Tuesday, he called them again, unanimously condemned them for anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, anti-black racism, homophobia, and transphobia. There are all colors of people out there. I didn't even play for you all the clips. There's a lot of Indian, Asian. That's Canada. Canada that's Canada. That's Canada now. Not exactly a white country like it once was. It's very multicultural. And so um, two people have been arrested. There are 13 active investigations. And uh, let's see, what did they charge this guy with? 29-year-old from the city was arrested and charged with mischief. And the other one was arrested for being accused of carrying a weapon in public, which could be who knows what. But they're doing the same thing that the Justice Department is doing to the January 6th people here. And also, this is really good news. This is very good news, okay? Are you ready? We need some good news, right? Representative Ben Klein from Virginia has decided to, he introduced it yesterday, legislation that aims to prevent organ transplant centers from denying unvaccinated Americans the right to receive or donate an organ. Klein is being joined by Representatives Morgan Griffith of Virginia, Bob Good of Virginia, Rob Whitman of Virginia, Jeff Duncan of South Carolina, Rodney Davis of Illinois. It's in, he's a, it's Stop Arduous Vaccine Enforcement Act. And um, anyway, you know the story, you know the drill because we've had so much discussion about it and our listener Deborah Doster is you know, still waiting. She's been taken off the list at Vanderbilt and uh, really left to die by Vanderbilt. I'm sorry. That's exactly what it means. And we're still in the middle of that fight, and we'll bring you an update as soon as we know something. But nevertheless, this is incredible. This is wonderful news. And uh, we need to get behind our congressmen and get them to get on board on this bill. I will come back to that. I'll interview one of the congressmen, and we'll have more time on that. And uh, quickly, Virginia's new AG has, uh, you know, issued a dictum that the universities of Virginia would not be able to uh, uh, mandate vaccines for students. And so the three major universities, that is George Mason, Virginia Tech, and University of Mary Washington, have all announced reforms and dropped their requirements. And in Denver, they have dropped mask or proof of vaccine requirement. And they have said in an official statement, Omicron has run out of fuel. Okay, so that's good news, and you needed some, right? Okay. All right, let's go back to this uh, discussion. I, 
this is an article by Emerald Robinson, and uh, she is laying out Vice President Pence's role uh, in the uh, Trump White House. And I have to tell you, I believe she's right about this. I had a front row seat, and this is kind of what I saw as well. So I'm not reading somebody else's thoughts. Um, she has more detail than I could have given you, but I want to read it to you. Here's a statement by President Trump. I think he said this recently. Yeah, January 30th. Maybe it was at his rally. He said, if the vice president, if the vice president had absolutely no right to change the presidential election results in the Senate, Despite fraud and many other irregularities, how come the Democrats and rhino Republicans are desperately trying to pass legislation that will not allow the vice president to change the results of the election? That's what I was just speaking to you about, about them uh, pushing. Actually, what they are saying is that Mike Pence did have the right to change the outcome, and they now want to take that right away. Unfortunately, he didn't exercise that power. He could have overturned the election. And of course, what Pence could have done was stop, just give some breathing time and let these states sort out their uh, problems that they were having in their states and their their differences over whether the electors are rightly chosen. That's what he, it's not that he would declare that Trump was the winner. It was that he would give time for states to sort it out among themselves. And he had the right to do that and he refused. He said it was, uh, not, he wasn't allowed to do that. And I knew that was not, that's just not true. It was a judgment call. He could have gone either way. And he went the other way. He he just uh, he went ahead and, and um, what he I forgot the word, but established, called out, sanctioned the electors. All right. So this back to Emerald's words. The reason that Mike Pence did not exercise the power to lawfully contest the election is because Mike Pence was never a Trump loyalist. He's a GOP establishment loyalist. There were plenty of problems inside the Trump administration, and Vice President Mike Pence was at the center of many of those problems. In fact, it's always been obvious that Pence and his staff were deeply involved in trying to remove President Trump from office. I have to tell you that I we knew about this right away. When President Pence uh, appointed Mark Short as his chief of staff, Mark was a never-Trumper, above all never-Trumpers, hated Trump. And now he's the chief of staff for the vice president, and that's how this nefarious stuff began. And I, I always thought that Mark was whispering in President, uh, Vice President Pence's, giving him ambitions about if President Trump is, this is my thought now, this is not what Emerald wrote, but this is my thought, if President Trump were forced aside, who would be president? It would be Vice President Pence, and that's what Mark Short wanted. So let me go on with this. Whenever the subject of Mike Pence comes up in casual conversation, I always ask the same question. Do you know Olivia Troy? Do you know Jennifer Williams? Do you know Catherine Seaman and Josh Pitcock? If you're drawing a blank with these names, I'm sorry to inform you that you were not paying close enough attention to politics during the Trump years. Also, anyway, so, so without further ado, let's review the evidence. There's a lot of it. Who fired General Michael Flynn? Well, let's begin with this. Why did you insist, she would be asking President Pence, that President Trump fire his national security advisor, Michael Flynn, in the opening days of the administration? The official story is that General Flynn had lied to Mike Pence about Flynn's contacts with Russian diplomats. Nobody has bothered to ask Pence exactly how he was informed about Flynn's private conversations. Think about it. Somebody went to Pence with transcripts of Flynn's calls and told Pence that Flynn was a national security risk. 
Why would have, why, who would have access to such phone calls? Who would want to lie about the nature of those phone calls to get Flynn fired? And uh, I'm going to come back to the answer to that, but let me just interject. That was always strange, very strange, because we know now that Michael Flynn really did not lie. Uh, we also know that I remember Pre- President, Vice President Pence made such a big deal out of that, and his, his honor somehow had been uh, you know, abused because uh, allegedly Mike Flynn lied to him, and he went on national television and defended Flynn when he said, Pence said that Flynn had lied to him. Well, that was really not true. And actually, I know now that uh, Michael Flynn was a man of honor in that. It could have gone after Mike Pence, but he didn't. Uh, so why did Mike Pence do that? Why did he dig in his heels and actually join the chorus of asking for him to be, he kind of gave President Trump sort of an ultimatum. He's kind of offended my honor. He lied to me, and so President Trump fired Michael Flynn. What's the background on that? Well, um, Emerald writes that who would have given Mike Flynn access to General Flynn's private phone calls? And uh, she says it almost certainly must have been disgraced FBI agent Peter Strzok. It's likely that Strzok was the one who pushed for Vice President Pence to fire Flynn because we know that Peter Strzok's assistant was Catherine Seaman, the wife of Mike Pence's chief of staff, Josh Pitcock. We also have the text exchange between Strzok and Page discussing infiltrating the Trump White House in great detail. This was the subject of an extraordinary letter from Senator Grassley and Senator Johnson to A.G. Bill Barr. What did Pence know about the FBI's attempts to spy on the Trump White House? Is it even possible that Mike Pence was totally unaware? Is it even possible that Mike Pence was totally unaware that his chief of staff spouse worked directly for the chief of counter-espionage unit of the FBI? And that's Peter Strzok. We know that President Obama warned President Trump not to hire Flynn in 2016. We also know that Flynn himself believes that Obama advised Trump against hiring him because Flynn knew about the Obama administration's role in spying on Trump's presidential campaign. Removing Flynn as Trump's national security advisor was a top priority for the deep state. And that's true. Remember that Mike Flynn worked for Barack Obama, and he came out swinging, opposing his position on al-Qaeda. Uh, and he was the head of the, uh, D- the D- Defense Intelligence Agency. He knew everything, everything about the deep state. And he was prepared to—that's why he was excited about getting that position. Okay, so the Ukraine impeachment. Remember, that was over so supposedly a fa- phone call with President Trump and the— President of Ukraine, how interesting that things come back and Ukraine's in the news now. And so uh, this is going to take, let me just see if I can make this simple. Uh, During that failed Ukraine impeachment of President Trump, plenty of State Department and NSC swamp creatures crawled out of the shadows to hurt, hurl lame accusations about Trump's phone call with Ukraine President Zelensky. Did you know that one of the main accusers was a national security official on Vice President Mike Pence's staff? A State Department official named Jennifer Williams was placed on Pence's staff in April of 2019, which was just in time to get involved in the Ukraine call and the subsequent impeachment. What a coincidence that she arrived mere weeks before the call. Just imagine being a few months into your new job in the White House only to volunteer to testify against the president in an impeachment trial over phone calls you didn't like. If you find that scenario absurd, you're not alone. During her testimony before Congress, Jennifer Williams identified her working colleagues in Ukraine issues as Alex Vindman, Fiona Hill, and George Kent. And those are the three people that we know more about now. They had a vested interest in taking out President Trump. She also testified that Trump's call was unusual and inappropriate without explaining her legal reasoning. 
That's not so strange because Williams had defied an order from the White House by agreeing to appear for her deposition at all. She was then sent off to CENTCOM right after the Ukraine impeachment was over, sort of like a reward. Williams' attempt to take down of President Trump moved her immediate supervisor, Lieutenant Keith Kellogg, to issue his own statement about her. And he said, Ms. Williams was also on the call, as she testified. She never reported any personal or professional concerns to me, her direct supervisor, regarding the call. In fact, she never reported any personal or professional concerns to any other member of the vice president's staff, including our chief of staff and the vice president. So it turns out that Williams was a Democratic operative, and um, so that's, that's the way they went. And then Olivia Troy is the third person. The worst mistake that President Trump made during his administration was probably turning over the COVID task force to Vice President Mike Pence, because Pence turned it over to his chief of staff, Mark Short. And Mark Short turned it over to a little-known national security official with no medical experience. If you want to know the name of the person most responsible for unleashing Dr. Fauci vaccine nightmare on America— Remember the name of Mike Pence's COVID advisor, Olivia Troy. Pence picked a national security official to advise him on COVID who regularly appears on TV now with a framed picture of Dr. Fauci hanging prominently behind her in her house. Uh, She was just as motivated to destroy the Trump administration as Jennifer Williams, but she didn't have the same level of interest in protecting Vice President Mike Pence from the fallout. Pence's people probably figured this out the day that Troy appeared on TV and announced that she would vote for Biden. Once again, General Keith Kellogg was sent out to explain the Olivia Troy was another bad apple that happened to be planted in Pence's office. In fact, Kellogg announced that he had personally escorted Troy out of the White House when she was fired. Troy then started a personal grift operation called the Republican Accountability Project, in which she came out of the closet as a full-time political operative for the Democratic Party. And then it goes on, Mark Short was actually ended up being locked out of the White House by President Trump because of his activities. And again, he was chief of staff for President Mike Pence. Um, uh, There's a lot more to say. You can read this article. We will actually put this on our getter page so you can read it. I sadly say this is not good news to me. It's not fun for me to tell you, but this is the truth. And this is why I could never support him for president again. I haven't told him that. I'm telling you that publicly now uh, because I think he wanted to be president and he was cooperating with the people that wanted to bring the president down. I think that's exactly what happened. Um, It's shameful, but true. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.